Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Vivek Anand Ramkapal, Vice President and Head of TCS Financial Solutions at Tartar Consultancy Services, where his responsibilities include the TCS Bank Securities Processing Platform used by dozens of custodian banks and central securities depositories, and Quartz, the new set of blockchain-based services TCS has launched uh, to support investment in cryptocurrencies and security tokens. Vivek, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Dominic. My pleasure. Good to talk to you. I thought we might start, uh, Vivek, by talking about uh, CSDs and, and, and custodians. Can you give us a, a flavour of the type of projects, and by projects I mean something other than proofs of concept and pilot schemes, that you're working on with um, exchanges and CSDs at the moment? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure I can. Um, we are working up with about a handful of uh, organisations, Dominic. Um, and interestingly, um, three of those are stock, exchange, stock exchanges. And a couple of them are CSDs. So it's, it's quite interesting that there are more stock exchanges talking to us today um, you know, than, um, than CSDs. Uh, quite a few of them are looking at um, you know, this as an opportunity for them uh, to completely service uh, the value chain end to end in a tokenized form. So that's why you know, it's more the exchanges uh, who are talking to us. Uh, they are talking about such projects, not talking to us, working with us. Right. So we are working with these organizations. Uh, I would think that um, from the second half of this year, uh, they will start going live one by one. So between now and the end of 2022, I would expect about five market infrastructure institutions to go live on Quartz. That stupid question. The, the exchanges you're working with, are they, are they, do they tend to own CSDs as well? Are they seeing this as a, a full value chain proposition or at the trading level only? One of them does, the others don't. Others don't. They see it as a full value proposition that they will create. And those who are doing that are not doing it for equities or fixed income. Uh, they are doing it for alternative asset classes, which they believe they will provide a trading place for the first time too, right? So it's like, so they will, they will create uh, a new kind of segment and they will provide end-to-end -end services on that segment. So that's what they are looking to do. And uh, at least one of them, Dominic, is very actively talking to the regulator um, because this is the first time for the regulator also to approve something like that. Um, so it's an interesting scenario. But to some extent, they are looking at it uh, like how commodities exchanges uh, created uh, a market without having to necessarily deal with warehouses. So that's the parallel I would think. Right, so regulators need to be educated as well. Are you are you seeing a, if you look across the client base that you're act, working with now and looking to work with in in the near future? Is there a greater willingness on the part of a certain type of of CSD, by which I mean maybe CSDs in emerging markets, to experiment in this area? Are they more willing than say CSDs in developed markets, exchanges in developed markets as well? I to say that not necessarily, uh, not necessarily. I think um, the CSDs who are, uh, I, I, would, I would put it this way, the ones who need to compete in some form are the ones who are looking at these things, right? Those who don't need to compete, who are very comfortable with uh, where their 
the marketers and how they are a near monopoly in the market they are not looking at it honestly right those who need to compete they need to continuously find ways in which they are ahead of others um, be it exchanges be it csd so that's the difference that i would put rather than uh, major markets or mature markets or emerging markets it's more about whether they are going to compete for a particular business whom they compete with and the fact that they need to have an edge on it that's how i would put it and and there are there are only these handful of countries right dominic globally where you have multiple stock exchanges multiple uh, you know uh, clearing organizations so their need to compete is higher um, so I, that, that's the difference that uh, i see budgets are budgets a problem for csds in particular i assume exchanges are pretty well funded but csds are not always the most lavishly funded uh, parts of the infrastructure is budgets a problem no no i won't say so mm -hmm. uh, budgets are not the problem um, a lot of them are waiting and watching uh, they want to get it right first time a lot of them are not willing to uh, you know in in some sense they have to think like a fintech they have to think like a startup they have to try three four things three four uh, and, and and get those ideas mature take it to the regulator uh, not all of them i would think are uh, putting their energies into it uh, but it's not for lack of funding uh, perhaps we could talk a little bit about about the impact of this on um, on CSDs in particular. If we end up in a world in which security tokens are being issued into digital wallets, and those digital wallets are controlled either by the investor themselves directly or by some third party provider, such as a custodian bank, uh, are CSDs still necessary in that environment? Are they concerned that their occupation is going to be gone if the world moves towards security tokens? No, I, I don't think they are seeing it like that. Which, uh, which otherwise, they were, I think they would move faster. Um, I, I don't, I don't see them looking at it that way. They probably still see them as the custodian of whatever be the form of securities that will exist in the future. In a sense, they have probably a regulatory protection, and so they are comfortable with that. Um, that any, uh, you know, um, listed security in their markets will always be held by them. so they have that protection and they have that thinking so i don't think that they are looking at a world where they would um, not exist um in in a lot of alternate asset classes sometimes even with insurance repositories right or or even with alternative like a, it's a financial asset right or an alternative financial asset even in those cases uh, a lot of the csds tend to think that that is someone else's business that that is not the core business that they have been created to service so they just leave it to the side possibly and say no let someone else do it we don't mind not doing it uh, i i i see more of that line of thought rather than one to say that uh, you know would they exist in the tokenized world i don't see it like that mm -hmm. now if we if we ask ourselves what csds need to do to evolve their services as security tokens take off and we're still in the very early stages of 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 this market developing and lots of ideas have been have been put forward uh, they could become providers of of digital wallet services uh, they could offer them in omnibus forms or segregated form they could they could act as typical blockchain fashion as transaction validators they could um start to this is a very lavish idea start to orchestrate the provision of services maybe have you know daily or real time or regular auctions of all the different components of uh 
of a full security services um, product. So, you know, they'd, they'd hire somebody to do settlement, somebody to do stock loans, somebody to do collateral management and so on. And you could basically unbundle all the services which, which a global custodian bank provides today and, and, and auction them to, to independent providers. They could get involved in interoperability between security token networks and between those networks and the traditional markets. There's going to be a long period of transition after all. Uh, they could start expanding into whole new sectors, uh, adjacent sectors, trade finance, insurance. Uh, they could even get into wholly new things like in your own country, you've seen CSDs getting into storing educational credentials, digital identity and so on. So, so actually there's lots of opportunities here as well, aren't there, for, for CSDs to grow. What's, what, are you, what are you advising them to do and what are they telling you they're thinking of doing? Yeah, so so this is like, uh, you know, um, and I think this will come to central banks also when it comes to CBDCs, right? Uh, the whole wallet uh, question. Uh, it's not just a CSD question. It's for any yeah. central organization. Um, the problem with this is whether the CSDs are wired as an organization to service the retail customer, the person on the man on the street or the person on the street, right? Um, they, with, with, with technology, I think they can do that. But are they organized to handle the end customer? Most of them are not, right? Most of them are organized to handle the institutional customer, um, the custodian, uh, the exchange, uh, they are owned by them. Um, they are also kind of uh, in an STP world. So from that perspective, I think um, they are not naturally um, created for this, naturally oriented for this. What are they good at doing among the questions that you posed, uh, Dominic? I mm -hmm. would think they are geared to be governing this. They are geared to run this. The CSDs can run the permission networks, right? They can govern that, they can administer, they can bring people together. I think you also spoke about whether they can be this independent player who can provide we can bring together people who provide these services. All of those are very natural for them. Uh, in a market where uh, you want uh, a tokenized settlement, I think the CSDs are in the best position to create the permission the networks and run and administer, govern those networks, provide the regulatory uh, reporting that is needed for tokenized securities. In case listed securities go that way, for example. All right, um, they can provide wallets. Uh, you took the Indian example. Uh, there are quite a few CSDs, including in India, uh, where they provide services to all of us who are um, investors, to the retail investor. But they are fairly, you know, you could say basic services reporting. You, you get a report, etc. They provide tax administration services. Uh, they provide a range of services which are outside the domain through subsidiaries, like a skill database, um, educational degrees, which are verified, etc., etc. There's no end to that. But uh, I think they are all not naturals at providing the wallet kind of retail service, uh, which a custodian can do, which a bank can do, right? Because they are, they are used to providing those services. They can provide it off the same digital interface that they have today. Um, there is a lot of disruption even there, but that's a different conversation. But I think that they are more naturally positioned to provide those services than the CSGs. I, you, you mentioned CBDCs, and I'd, I'd like to come back to that um, in a minute. But before I do, can I just ask you one very specific thing? We've talked about the issuance function of CSDs, and they can retain that 
by being digital wallet providers. But what about the registration function, you know, keeping a list of, of, of who owns what? Now that's a, a core CSD function in most markets. I mean, and there are markets where registrars still exist, including my own here in the, in the United Kingdom, but that's a core function. But a core feature of, of any blockchain technology is that you have this real-time register. It's one of the things it does. It's just, it keeps track of, of who owns what in real time, the end of record dates, uh, the registration function becomes much uh, easier to, to operate. Is that registration function of CSDs doomed, whatever happens uh, in future? It, it, it cannot be in today's form, right? Because registration is almost implicit in, in a tokenized world. You don't have to have a separate register. Um, so, uh, which is where I would think that, um, you know, the registrar, as we know today, uh, you know, um, I think they are more uh, service provider to the uh, to the company that is issuing securities rather than to the investor. So I think uh, if at all they exist, they can exist as a participant on the same blockchain network. Um, the CSD's registration function becomes in implicit rather than explicit, uh, which means that if they govern that network, if they run that permission network, then they have an oversight, then they can do the regulatory reporting. Uh, they can get the list of shareholders, et cetera, et cetera, in a, as, as one central uh, agent. But beyond that, I think there is no registration function. There's no really explicit need for a registration function. Is that it, is was it, big, interesting. Go on. I'm wondering if there's, there's an opportunity for them here as well, right? Doing it in yeah, a yeah, there is. different form. Yes, doing it. Doing it in a different form. Uh, sometimes, you know, I I, I, uh, I I say this very carefully, but the registrars are the weakest link in many ways in the whole transaction chain in today's markets, right? Because as um, as technology advanced more and more, they are among the groups of people who could not always keep pace with the technology because it's it's just such a uh, you know you could say specific, maybe even low margin business in most of the countries. Uh, and they are not book builders; they are just issuers. So, given that, I think uh, the next stage of even efficiency would be for the CSDs to see this as an opportunity, provide that function, be the administrator or the you know uh, or the or the organization running these permission networks. And if there is still a reason for the registrar to be the intermediary, they can they can actually run those. They can have a node on the on the blockchain they can provide the service that's needed by the company if a company is not directly taking it. But otherwise, um, the registrar systems are not needed and there is an opportunity here for CSDs. Clearly, you're right, Tom. I, you, you touched on the question of, of interoperability and the potential role for CSDs is to act as kind of switching stations for linking up security token networks, traditional exchanges, and, and so on. And we're starting to see um, technical standards like ERC-20, ERC-1400 emerge. Um, we're also seeing these computer protocols like uh, FinP2P emerging. Um, do these tokenized markets need old-fashioned, what I'd call, you know, business messaging standards, the sort of swift structured message types or can they interoperate without uh, business standards as opposed to, to technical standards and computer protocols? 
Terrific question. Terrific question. Uh, I think the data standards are definitely needed, Dominic. Um, you know, um, data standards are needed. Um, otherwise, you would not be able to exchange data and interpret it in the same way. Right. So I think standardized data models are needed. We are doing some some very specific work on it and even trying to see if 20.022 and what we have inherited as 15.022 to 20.022 can be a basis for financial data standards because otherwise how do you interpret what you get right what you pick from what you take from the uh, distributed ledger even if it doesn't come in a message so i think data standards are necessary uh, messaging will continue to be there i guess for a long time um, it's been very difficult to move from 1502 to 20.02 in my experience uh, very few markets have moved there are a lot of markets who are still on proprietary standards um, they always support proprietary standards also which means that a bulk of their uh, customers don't change. They, as soon as you support that also and provide coexistence of standards, there are a group of people who will stick to what is the old standard because they don't see value in moving, particularly if they don't have international business. Um, so when you put all this together, messages will remain. And um, I, uh, the burden of interoperability will be there on all of us who provide systems. I think we need to be able to send messages back and forth, even in the tokenized world. Well, as you as you point out, and the the ISA report on on ISO twenty eight two two pointed out that an awful lot of um, custodian banks, for example, are, are very comfortable with ISO fifteen eight two two. There's you know case for moving to ISO twenty eight two two. There's one more generally. You've got um, traditional sometimes rudely referred to as legacy systems, which are operating on SWIFT um, and FIX and, and FPML. You, you as, as TCS banks would have had to build SWIFT engines into, into, the, into the platforms you provide to, to clients. Are those legacy um, systems or built around um, legacy messaging standards an obstacle to moving very quickly to security tokenization in the same way that they've been an obstacle to moving from 15022 to 20022? Yes, legacy is an obstacle. It's your spot on. Legacy is an obstacle. Um, also, not, not just because of the messaging, but also because of the way in which um, the, uh, the modeling is done in the databases, the whole data structure. When you put it all together, and then there is multiplicity of systems. Yes, yes, it is an obstacle. So in fact, um, on our side, we are trying to create some form of transformation logic and middleware and gateways so that we can take that obstacle away. You, you take the uh, message in its current form and then you transform it into a more future state form, uh, into a more, um, you know, be it for the blockchain on a distributed ledger or sometimes even for 20 or 20. So you do a transformation uh, in order to uh, kind of interoperate, even though the legacy system from which you transform or to which you transform will not benefit from the true value of the next generation data standards because their data models will be old and legacy in any case, but they can work with the latest systems because you have a transformation in between. But yes, they are, they are an impediment. But then that means replacement of lots and lots of core systems. So who's going to do that? Mm -hmm. That's where the challenge is, you know, very few people are replacing their core systems. Not enough um, CSDs are replacing in my opinion. If you look around Europe, I think a lot of them are still on the older systems. Some of them are very standardized and they are already you know, having 
15 or to do and 20 or to do some of them are not and do you find anybody's interested in if you like building a, a new system in parallel alongside if you like the existing system with a view to one may one day you know transitioning clients onto it is that something which is not not happening it is happening dominic uh, it is happening i think they are building it in a small way uh, i think uh, the examples that i took the institutions that we are working with in terms of uh, creating we um, could say next generation systems next generation markets on distributed ledger uh, out of the four or five that i spoke about five of them i think only one is doing it uh, in the same solution with both everyone else is looking at something that will run in parallel run for a separate market get that approved by the regulator sometimes it's not even regulated yet so they don't even have anyone good if you are going to provide training ministry but there's no list there's no market regulator for uh, art or uh, you know any of those you could say high high net worth uh, investment uh, classes so there, there there's no regulator there so you just need to be self regulated it is then a parallel market we lost you a bit there so let, let's just repeat that that question we'll sure. we'll edit this so let me let me ask you it again um, <laughs> are um do you see among among the csds and custodian banks and others you're talking to do you see any appetite for for getting around the legacy problem by building uh, a new system in parallel alongside the existing system with a view to to transitioning clients onto the new platform at some point in the future is that happening very much very much dominic yes uh, i think the majority are seeing it that way among the handful of institutions i spoke about except one all others are working with us to create a parallel uh, infrastructure right something for a for a different asset class than their current mainstream business which is equities fixed income some some cases commodities so they are looking at something in parallel uh, a new market segment or a new board on which they will have a different set of asset classes which are tokenized and that will run in parallel they are trying to seek separate approvals for that where necessary in some cases it's not even uh, in a regulated segment so they don't know where to take the approval for because it's not a financial market uh, in the current form so that's that's how uh, it is happening so very much uh, you know there is a situation where parallel systems are being developed now um, i don't think earlier even for different asset classes right equities to fixed income versus commodities sometimes even different markets and then you know we started bringing those together into one system because the same csd had four different systems um, so now this is a new parallel system so that they're starting with alternative asset classes if you like and then looking to to move the the orthodox equities and fixed income yes. across to it at some point in the future yeah makes sense volume yeah um and and we'll i want to talk a little bit about about the the custodian banks now but before i do i just want to come back to that that point you raised earlier about central bank digital currencies uh are are cbdcs going to be helpful to csds in responding to the security token threat come opportunity or are they going to be unhelpful helpful mm -hmm. helpful i would 
because um, you know CBDCs have a sovereign uh, nature to it. I think they are um, they are a vehicle to the future for central banks. Uh, a fantastic opportunity uh, for um, to to reach out to a new technology future without losing control over currencies, which I think pretty much every central bank wants. Right. So there is uh, they can exercise control over the CBDCs. Um, there is a security and a stability attached to it, which they can they can create. It will not go up and down by 11%, 14% in a day. Um, but um, the the wallet side is a challenge, right? I, I can see them creating it, issuing it. Will they directly issue it into wallets which are held by you and me? Uh, I, I don't know how they will do that because today they are not equipped to service you and me, right? So therein lies the you know the, the paradigm shift. I don't know if they will do that or they will do that through intermediaries or subsidiaries that they will create. Because that's a retail bank's function, right? For the last whatever hundreds of years. Yeah. So um, could be an opportunity for CSDs if if central bank digital currencies are issued into retail wallets, they start to run a retail banking business, but could equally be an opportunity for them, even if the retail banks continue to, to intermediate that, that business. One is a kind of status quo uh, um, option for them, and the other is perhaps opens up a whole new line of business to servicing retail clients. Is that what you were saying, Bivak? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, possible, possible, uh, because see, you know, you don't need to run, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 of these blockchain networks in any any country or region, right? Mm -hmm. I think there will only be so many of them. So the organizations that create them first will end up, uh, you know, running them. You know, that's what that's that's my experience personally on the payment side. If you look at what has happened with uh, digital payments in a lot of markets, the first movers have gained the majority or the first handful of players, and then they've grown on top of that. Uh, and then there are subsidiaries of uh, central banks and you know financial institutions have been created to run um, real-time payments. So similar to that, I think you will have to have somebody overseeing and running it. Uh, it could be the CSD. It is an opportunity. Yes. Let, let, but if someone else's business and if they are um, only going to look at being the settlement organization for listed securities, then it will not happen, Dominic. At the risk of being provocative, you know, that's that's the that's the factor, right? I think this is a very different business. Either they go out there and create it or embrace it and run it and be the uh, be the one governing the permissioned networks. If they say, you know, this is not my business, or if their boards were to say it's not their business, then it will not happen. Someone else will do it. Uh, let's talk a bit, a bit now about the um, the users of the CSDs, the, the custodian banks. We're starting to see certain of the global custodian banks develop crypto custody uh, custody services, I suppose, crypto, sorry, cryptocurrency custody services. We're also starting to see some take stakes in uh, digital asset custodians. We've seen BNY Mellon take a stake in, in Fireblocks and uh, Standard Chartered in, in Metico. Do you think that the... Uh, the custodian banks who are making these moves ha have are really trying to to teach themselves to educate themselves uh, about custodying security tokens, or are they 
simply responding to a, a, a kind of buy side desire to have a, um, a custody service because they are investing in, in cryptocurrencies? Is this part education or is it just simply responding to, to client need? What do you think is going on here? Responding, responding to client need. I think the education part is probably over for a lot of them. I think three, four years back, that was more the, more the state. I think they have the ability to move fast um, you know, in their organizations. Um, not all of them are creating the market or creating the business. I think they are more responding to the pull uh, because if they don't respond, then these assets will be held under custody by someone else, somewhere else. Right. Um, so it, it will not be a single custodian holding this. So I think they need to respond. So they are responding. I would think I would put it that way. Now, what about the technical side of, of doing this? We're talking about, about educating yourself. Um, clearly, custodying private keys is very different from custodying uh, even dematerialized uh, securities. And we've seen this evolve from the original sort of cold storage idea through these hardware security models where you plugged a dongle into your into your PC and then tried to have some sort of multi-sig process with, with, with uh, others to mitigate the threat of, of assets being stolen. We're now moving towards uh, multi-party um, computation. Um, do you, I mean, this is quite complex technical stuff. It's very unfamiliar to, to custodian banks. Do you think they have the right culture, right skill sets to keep up with this fairly rapidly evolving um, technical developments in private key custody? Are, are the custodians culturally and technically equipped to keep up, do you think? Technically, yes. Um, you know, more technically than culturally, I would think, because, um, you know, that's how I would put it, if I were to be honest. Um, I think a lot of them are thinking that they will invest into some of the fintechs that are doing this work. I think the approach that's been taken by a lot of the big custodians is to say that one is that they will do some pilots. The second is that they will invest in some of the fintechs. And then maybe you could say buy the technology or take the technology from those of us who are providing solutions and then just be the person who's creating the business and implementing it. So technology is not the challenge. Technology is not the challenge because in one of four or five ways, either buying it from all of us who are providers or from the fintechs or being a stakeholder in the fintechs, they will get access to it. And that's why I said they can move very fast once they make the decision because they can have access to the technology. Um, they are not creating the market. That's uh, that's the area where probably more uh, more innovation is needed. Mm -hmm. Some of them, of course, are doing some work, like JPMC and others, um, but not 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 to the you know on the whole. I think the big custodians have probably not done enough to create the market. Right? Maybe they'll they have not have done that. Uh, you, you touched on this issue earlier with CSDs about legacy systems being a, an obstacle to, to rapid change. But you don't just have legacy systems, you have legacy procedures, you have legacy processes, legacy standards, and lots of legacy lying around. How hard is it going to be for, for custodian banks to actually adapt their existing systems, processes, procedures? I'm not talking here about their culture, I'm just talking about the, the way they do things and the technology they use to do those things. How hard is that going to be to adapt those to, to security token markets? 
not straightforward not straightforward it is going to be hard because this paradigm is very different uh, the paradigm is different and um, you know the whole you know the end to end process itself will be completely different to what happens in in the electronic or dematerialized world right uh, i think um, you cannot just have the same process and then just store a token i think you know that's yeah, you can draw something on a whiteboard like that but that's not how it will work um, the underlying uh, cryptography of the blockchain is different and uh, the business model has to be different and more efficient right otherwise what's the point right yeah. uh, it's not just about tokenizing in order to convert from an electronic form to a tokenized form so i think the same systems will not always be easy to change uh, we are actually creating uh, you could say crypto custody components in our solutions dominic that's how we are designing it right the crypto custody if i can call it that the tokenized uh, you know custody is different from the electronic custody you can see it in the same form you can get one statement with both on it but the underlying components are different the process and the technology the way it, which it uses the dlp is different um, so um, i think i think coexistence is better than to say the same system can be used because i think a lot of them cannot change their existing systems we have to find ways to engineer a level of coexistence uh, but the crypto custody world is slightly different and it's better to use those specialized systems and make these two run together and now you mentioned mentioned earlier that those clients that are looking to build up uh, a digital asset uh, custody system in parallel with their traditional custody system are kind of focused on on alternative assets at the moment now it's become clear i think in the last year or so that the big opportunity here lies in privately managed assets not just the real estate and the collectibles and the fine art where we're seeing things develop but you know private equity and privately paced debt as well um i think mckinsey put a figure on that market of into last year of seven and a half trillion dollars so it's, it's actually a big market opportunity even relative to to the publicly traded markets now obviously the um the privately managed assets are not a market which which custodian banks are you know a major force in at the moment um how how do you think they can set themselves up to start to exploit that opportunity they're doing a bit of private equity administration and so on at the moment but how would you advise a client to tackle this massive seven and a half trillion privately managed assets opportunity uh, that's a, that's a tough one uh, because it's it's just not their space today um, actually um, uh, but i think they need to partner with uh, you know um, with, with uh, you know directly with the stakeholders in these spaces um, with the private banks where they have to work with the private banks you know the private placement is not in their space right now um, and also if you were to look at private equity and let's say you see you imagine a world of private equity or private placement on a dlt dominic right um, there is really no need to go the custodian path there right i think i think you can have the end to end value chain without the current custody process so for the custodian i think they need to create this as a separate business and run this as a separate business you know it, it cannot be the custody business that will somehow become the back end of um, a, a next generation 
dlt based private equity uh, solution uh, i would i would not invest subject like that so i think i think the private placement can be directly handled uh, if the custodians other i think a lot of some of the custodians are seeing this as a uh, space for them they are talking to us uh, they want to participate in this uh, we are working uh, we are on the whiteboard on some solutions with them uh, but then yeah, like you said they are not the major player so they have to partner with the banks mm-hmm. so the private banks right uh, if you look at it as a private banking space the large private banks uh, i think uh, you know there is a very good possibility there because they provide end to end in those countries like a switzerland right they provide the complete service from trading to custody so uh, for the private banks to have a play in private equity and then have a play in private equity in a crypto form i think they are in 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 those handful of markets where they are the where everything is run by them i think there is an opportunity for them and i guess the private banks have the type of clients which are willing to pioneer investment in security tokens as well absolutely absolutely yes now one one advantage that the global custodians do have is that and this is a kind of paradox of of the whole blockchain security token thing is that the institutional investors want to continue to work with custodian banks they like the credit intermediation they like the idea somebody will make them whole if their assets get lost or 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 go missing and and that's as true of a prime brokerage relationship as it is of a of a probably especially true of a prime brokerage relationship as it is of a a, a global custody um relationship but on the other hand this uh security tokenization thing is all about cutting costs and being more efficient precisely by eliminating uh intermediaries how do you think this is going to play out do you think that cutting costs by getting rid of intermediaries is going to is going to be the story or uh, are these intermediaries going to stay in place because actually they do something which is very valuable to institutional investors which of those arguments is going to prevail in the long run do you think the latter the latter uh, valuable and efficient Uh, i think the the biggest um, change that will come is in terms of efficiency how close to real time instantaneous settlement can we get to right i think you know if we if we can give the value of time then a certain higher cost is you know is something that most investors would give for the value of time right so against you know measured against time and the efficiency that that will bring Uh, i think i think the cost will be okay economy of scale will drive the cost down like it has done in security settlement it still has some some more potential to to go down so i would think that that would be more the case rather than the intermediary is completely not being there uh, i would not i would not see it that way um uh, it's 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 difficult to take a banking or payments paradigm for this this is very very different particularly um Uh, because of the so many different types of asset classes that we can all hold right in a uh, as part of our investment portfolio but private placement and private equity it's a, it's a good thought the way you you put it dominic it's a very interesting thing you have posed something on which i will do some more speed work i think that can really take off it can really take off and just during the course of this conversation it has made me think uh, how much that can take off And, and like you said, you know, it's trillions, right? It's not like some small number. Mm. Yeah. Now, th- there's another paradox here, which is that uh, people say great thing about blockchain is that you have this atomic settlement, 
a, you know, a kind of real-time growth settlement. Problem with it is, of course, you have to pre-fund accounts with, with, with cash or securities. And then people remember that actually netting is quite valuable, particularly in terms of, of uh, savings in capital and liquidity. You know, an institution like CLS, almost the whole of its benefits is delivered through through netting. That's that's the, the value which which central counterparties deliver as well. Um, do we do we think that the uh, security token markets can actually deliver the benefits of netting, but also the benefits of of atomic instantaneous real time settlement? Or are those two things uh, contradictory? Just just, uh, you know, at, at this stage, I would think it's contradictory, right? Uh, kind of, you know, one is one, one runs counter to the other, which is also like, you know, uh, why I said that a lot of these parallel systems that we are working on, that we are creating are um, high value, but low volume. Mm -hmm. uh, the netting effect is very marginal in those transaction volumes. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and with the kind of players which are there. So when you are having less volume, high value and the need for instant settlement, uh, I think uh, a tokenized uh, DLT based settlement lends itself so much better to that. And I think that has its value uh, and netting has its own value and uh, you know it offsets and the kind of liquidity that gets released because of netting is, is phenomenal. So um, I, I, I think in a way they, they run counter to each other. So that, that's also the reasons why some people may say, let me hold on to where I am, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. There's, there's no reason to not, you know, I mean, a combination of the power of netting and the kind of capital that is needed in order to provide the guarantees that you spoke about, Dominic, right? I think if you need to give that comfort to the investment community, uh, then you need the, 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 the capital adequacy and the big balance sheets that the banks bring, bring into the business, isn't it, in order to be sure that, uh, you know, what you're doing is safe. Mm -hmm. So how do you take out the intermediary who brings in the strength of that capital? You cannot take them out because the risk is uh, underwritten by them. So that's where I still see some of this running in parallel. Which, which helps to, to, to solve a, a, a sort of third paradox, which has occurred to me, which is um, about central counterparties. A lot of that netting, obviously, as I said, was done, was done through them. They act as the counterparties to every trade. And guess what? I was, I was reading a very futuristic uh, paper about um, a, a blockchain future in which every consumer owns their own data um, and they decide who can see what. And they use that data uh, to do their KYC, AML, sanction screening, CFT checks. They use it also to buy goods and services on this um, interlocking set of, of blockchain networks for all types of, of, of goods and services. But I also noticed they said that a, a central counterparty clearinghouse would be a very good idea um, to put into a model like that because it could act as the as the anonymous counterparty to all the trades and start to reduce that, that counterparty risk. So I, I sense for the first time that people are thinking that maybe CCPs actually do have a future inside a, uh, a tokenized economy. Do you, do you think that's true? Do you think CCPs have a role to play in security token markets? Yes, yes, because, you know, um, the risk management needs to happen. Um, and, and that is where I think they will come into play. Um, that's why I said, you know, where, wherever there is a time factor, right, if it is not instant settlement, then who is the party in the middle? You meet someone in the middle, right? Uh, who is managing that risk for whatever be the period of exposure, uh, be it tokenized or uh, not tokenized. 
so i would i would say that where you have settlement that is instantaneous um, then you can do that without the central counterparty so it's like pretty much gross settlement instantaneous but if it's not instantaneous then someone's got to do the netting and if someone does the netting then they will have to manage the risk so and for that period of time what that period of time maybe the future will determine uh, netting brings a lot of efficiencies so we cannot completely do away with it uh, i would still see markets as t plus 1 going into the future not instantaneous so there would be two different types of settlement for the medium term at least dominic so it'll be it'll be a messy system with um with a bit of uh, atomic settlement but also options to net and to use central counterparties as well in the in the medium term it'll be a transitional period we may end up with one or the other but not immediately yes, yeah yes. even our marketplaces today which are there not necessarily for securities but for other forms of transactions that we do in some form they have become they become central parties you know uh, i don't want to call them ccps for obvious reasons but they all play a central role isn't it the amazons of the world also play that play that uh, the wallet providers of the world play that they take from somebody hold it while they manage it so of course in small quantities i think most nations are managing this risk by limiting how much you can hold with them uh, but uh, beyond that i think it's still risky so i think the risk needs to be managed these for institutions and only ccps can do that today only they are there in the position to do that today. one one last question for you um if you but we must let you go but and it's this the the cryptocurrency markets have given rise to this decentralized finance or, or defi market in which all sorts of very interesting experiments are are taking place do you think that is a market which custodians and and i this probably applies to csds as well do you think it's a market which custodians and csds should be looking to understand to see if there are experiments or new technology or new techniques being pioneered there which might be useful to them as they make their own transition to security token markets or indeed which they could apply to their their traditional business is is defi a market which custodians and csds should be looking at for ideas about doing things differently absolutely absolutely i think a great point to to kind of uh, you know round up the conversation dominic i would think so and i think if you were to look at how you apply the principles of defi to lending right what are the you know what is the way in which they can unlock uh, you know what they hold today how do they provide more efficient services to the people to whom they are holding assets under custody i think uh, i think the opportunity is huge so i think they should study it study it carefully and uh, i i i myself would be uh, would, would like to see them doing some of these projects in the next couple of years rather than to see that you know i mean i think a lot of time too many people are looking to are waiting for this or that a handful of you know let's say two or three projects which are happening somewhere in the world and say you know let that progress and then we will see but i think uh, they don't have to yeah it's a great opportunity actually and and uh, also to create the next generation uh, financial services systems vivek thank you very much thank you thank you dominic uh, pleasure talking to you today and uh, you know it's been absolute uh, pleasure to uh, exchange these ideas a lot of which i think we can build on as we go into the future so great to talk to you